0: Yes, So we are super excited about getting to do this again together as a church body. If you have uh, friends that are believers that don't actually go to Bentry and you're like, but I know they love to worship. They love to sing their hearts out and praise Jesus. Shoot them a text, invite them to come join us. It's Wednesday night at seven over in the chapel. We're really excited about that. Uh, One thing we want to do that's a little unique that we've never done that I'm nervous and excited about is we actually need your help to pick our last song right now. So if you have your phones on you, if you would grab those, I am asking you to get your phone, get your camera app open, scan the QR code that's in front of you. If you're in the front row, you can look right behind a seat chair, scan that and you'll see a night of worship survey. I want you to do that right now. Yes, you do have permission to grab your phones, to open it. You'll have four songs uh, to vote on. We want you to click one of the songs and then we'll let you know on our social media pages today, which song we're gonna add and that we're gonna do Wednesday night. Lizzie and I picked most of these songs, uh, but we would like your input. We want you to pick a song as well. So we're looking forward to it. Hey, two more things that I wanna invite you into. If you're a believer in Jesus, but have not taken a step of faith to step into uh, baptism, to publicly proclaim your faith in front of your brothers and sisters in Christ, we'd love to invite you to do that. We're actually gonna do baptisms in our services this week. So if you're curious about that or have a friend or a family member that's looking to be baptized, we'd love to invite you to go to bentree.org slash baptism. You can find out more info there and you can sign up to register. If you're a believer and if Bentry is where you call church home, we'd love to invite you to continue in worshiping. We can worship all different kinds of ways. There's worship happening all over the building here today. And one of those ways that you can do that is through generosity. We'd love to invite you to give here. You can do that through the app, you can do that through the QR code in front of you, or you can do that physically at the boxes at the entrances of the room. So hopefully you've voted by now, or at least narrowed it down to your top two. We're gonna jump into some worship. Again, we're gonna sing a song called Holy Spirit. And uh, our life group was meeting a few weeks ago and somebody in our life group pointed something out that I think is, is vital to the church gathering. He said, it's, it's one thing for you to be okay with the Spirit's presence. And it's a different thing for you to welcome the Spirit's presence. The Spirit of God is already here. There's nothing about the music that we play. There's nothing about how many people are in this room. There's nothing that we could fabricate to create this extra spiritual environment. Scripture tells us that God indwells those who believe in Him with His Spirit. That's already a reality. But what I want us, to be encouraged by this morning is that we don't exist to just tolerate the Holy Spirit's presence, but we exist to welcome the Spirit's presence. So would you stand up with us as we worship together this morning?
1: Nothing but Your presence, Jesus. Jesus. So I'll stand with arms high.
2: After this next song, we're going to take communion all together. So if you want to get your communion lunchable out and ready. For those of you who are worshiping with us online, this is a great time for you to get uh, something together for you to take communion as well. Hebrews, we we don't know who wrote uh, the book of Hebrews, but we know that the author that wrote it was writing to Christians who were struggling to live life in the new covenant. They'd put their faith in Jesus and then they found themselves being drawn back to the old covenant, back to the old system, back to Judaism. And in this beautiful book, we get to see what life is like in the new covenant as the author spells it out. And one of the things that the author is bringing up over and over again is that Jesus is the high priest and he's the sacrifice. We're gonna hop in mid-thought here. I just want us to take a moment, look at something that is so profound. Hebrews 10, verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. When God set up the old covenant, it was a blood economy. There had to be sacrifices of innocent blood to atone for sins, but all the blood of the goats and the rams could never be enough to cover the sin of humanity. So day after day, the priests always had to work. They could never sit down. They were constantly striving, performing, working, hoping but it was symbolic for all of what humanity was doing under the old covenant. Verse 12, but when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus could sit down and rest because as the high priest and as the sacrifice, his blood was enough. His blood atoned and covered all the sin for all of humanity. And so he could rest. And I kinda wonder what it was like for first century Jews who had seen the priests striving and working, no seating in the temple, no place for them to sit down, to hear that Jesus, after his sacrifice, could sit and rest because the cross and the resurrection worked. And verse 14 says, for by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever. He has made you perfect forever. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you have been made perfect forever. You are fully and completely forgiven. Like a fish swimming in water, you are completely covered with perpetual forgiveness and you can't get out of it. You're forgiven. For by one sacrifice he is made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. This is life in the new covenant when we recognize that his sacrifice worked, that his resurrection is the source of all of our victory, that his blood covered all of our sin. When we recognize this to be true, our identity is new and then our behavior follows what our identity already is we become holy, we are made holy. And then by behavior, we live deeper into this holiness of who we already are. So right now, as we ready our hearts to take communion, today we take communion, not just remembering a cross, but celebrating a resurrection. Because we take communion today from a posture and place of victory, hope, and life, knowing that his blood was enough and we are fully forgiven.
0: everything
1: changed it's getting harder to recognize
0: the person i was before i encountered christ i don't walk like i used to i don't talk like i used
1: to i've been washed from the inside i've been washed from the inside from the inside out. If I really live it, let me tell you, it's only by the blood.
2: stand together. And what I'm praying today is for you. is as we take communion, that this isn't a moment where we just remember a cross, but this is a moment where the Holy Spirit convinces you of who you are. So what are your biggest regrets? What's the thing that is from your life that you still carry with you and you have guilt and shame over. I want you to take this moment right now and think of it. The things that you wish you never did. Jesus looks at you and says, those sins are covered. You are fully forgiven. Matthew records the upper room. and says, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when they had given thanks, he took it and broke it gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many, for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. When Paul said to the church in Rome, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's not just true for you theologically, it's true for you actually. If you put your faith in Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. It is by the blood and the blood alone that we have been made holy, we've been washed from the inside out. You are new, righteous, pure, fully forgiven. And so now as a church, let's take this moment as we're being convinced by the Holy Spirit of our righteousness in Christ to offer a sacrifice of hallelujah back to Him.
0: deserve earn it's a gift that's freely given let me tell you it's
1: only by the blood yeah. does anybody want to be
0: holy be righteous
1: is by
3: paid our debt. Come on, I said literally, praise the one who paid our debt and raised us up. Praise him as if you just found out that this is resurrection morning and the tomb is empty. The grave has been robbed of its power. Sin has lost grip on your life because Christ is alive. One more time, Church of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated today. We want to welcome you here in this room and all of you online. I know we're over time, but I just sense the Spirit of God doing something so special today. Hope you're reminded today of who you are, of how much how God loves you. He won your victory that you and I could never win. He paid the debt we could never pay. He made us new in such a way. We're not just into behavior modification here. We are new in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, team. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Church, for worshiping together and singing of the precious name of Jesus. I want to welcome you. My name is Lippon Abraham. I'm so thankful that you are here today online here in this room. Uh, I've been amazed at all the scent moments that are happening and the ping pong balls that are going into the scent display. Last week, a few people said their scent moment is to now actually answer spam calls, <laughs> especially those that are asking if you're interested in selling your house. Have you gotten that? And they say, no, no I'm not interested in selling my house, but can I pray for you? <laughs> And so, hey, it's working. People are actually calling customer service lines, not because they need anything, but because they know that there's somebody on the other side of this line who may just need a prayer today, who may just need some encouragement today. So keep doing this. Keep living sent lives and engaging people as God and the Spirit of God is leading you to. I imagine if you, like me, we probably have been in moments where two people are in the same event, having the same conversation, but having a very different experience. It's possible that two people at work or in some social setting could be in the same space, in the same moment, having the same experience, but actually walking out of it with an old different interpretation of what just happened. It was seven years ago that our nation was starkly divided not by a politician or a policy, but starkly divided by this dress right here. You thought I was about to say something serious, didn't you? Oh, we argued across state lines. We argued, what color is this dress? Is it black and blue or is it white and gold? How many black and blue people do we have? All right, that's me too. How many white and gold people do we have? More of you that are white and gold. Wow, you got it wrong, but wow, I'm I'm just kidding. (laughs) I was always black and blue. But people can see the same picture and walk away from a whole different interpretation. I saw Pastor Joanne, she posted this picture on her Instagram page, and it was really a question of, what do you see? Uh, Do you see a yacht at sea here? How many of you say, yeah, I see a yacht at sea. I I thought of it as well. And the caption was, if you see a yacht at sea, you are desperately in need of a vacation, because this is just a hole in a leather sofa. That's all it is. (laughs) A hole in a leather sofa. You can see the same picture and interpret it so differently. Now, researchers have done some study into this whole phenomenon. Why is it that we can, two people can look at the same picture and see something very differently? They said it's because your expectation directly impacts what you see. Your expectation, in fact, interprets what you see differently. Whatever expectation you went into a conversation or a scene or a situation, it impacts how you experience that situation, how you hear the conversation. So in other words, uh, your expectation primes your brain to experience reality in a certain way. Expectation primes our brain to experience something differently. That's why you choose very carefully who you go to a movie with. Like You don't want to go with somebody that's walking in grumbling that they're there. This is going to be a waste of time. Why are we spending our money on this movie? No, no, no. You don't want to go with that person. Leave them at home. No, you go with the person who's thinking, these are going to be the best two hours of my life. I want to get there early. I got to get the right popcorn. We got to see this movie and you will have a whole different experience based on expectation. Expectation primes our experience. So today, in week three of sent, I want to ask you this question. How does being sent impact what we see? How does being sent impact what we see? How does this reality of you being a sent person, endowed by the Spirit of God, empowered by His Spirit, how does it impact what you see or even who you see? You may be one of hundreds of employees in your workplace one of hundreds of families who live in your neighborhood, one of many students in a classroom, but you with the expectation and reality that you are a sent person by Jesus, does it change how you view your reality? Does it change how you view what you see, really see the people around you? How does being sent impact what we see? What's amazing about the life of Jesus, especially in his three and a half years of ministry, is that in the 40 plus one-on-one encounters he had, he saw people vastly different than how they had ever been seen. Jesus was able to see through their exterior facade and their pedigree or motivation. He saw beyond what they wanted and really saw what they needed. He saw a person for who they really were, their deepest needs. He saw people in a way they had never been seen before. People saw Mary Magdalene as a person who had many demons who would never experience freedom, but Jesus already saw her free, delivered, and devoted to Him. People saw Nicodemus as a teacher of the law to follow, but Jesus saw him as a person in dire need of new birth. The Jews saw Zacchaeus as a reprobate tax collector who could never be saved, but Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. You are going to host the very presence of the Son of God. People saw the woman at the well, the disciples saw the woman at the well to be someone to refrain from at all costs, but Jesus saw her as someone to pursue at all costs. The religious leaders saw the woman caught in adultery and they wanted to to condemn her by stoning her. But Jesus didn't see a person worthy of being condemned by stoning. He saw a person worthy to redeem by forgiving. The early church saw Saul, the greatest threat to the Christian church, this early movement. But Jesus in Saul, he saw Paul. Not a murderer, but a missionary. Jesus sees people differently. Every person he saw, he viewed them vastly different than how they had ever been viewed. And that's good news for you and I, because Jesus didn't just see people in the Bible differently, he saw us differently. Jesus saw you and I differently than how anyone else had seen us. In fact, Jesus saw us differently than how we saw ourselves. Remember the moment when you realize he knows you completely and still loves you unconditionally? That's revelation. He sees you differently. The moment you realize that God doesn't judge you based on your actions. He judges you based on the action of Jesus, the finished work of the cross. Therefore, you are forgiven. He saw you differently. I saw moments in my life, I know, remember vividly moments in my life where I saw myself as a complete sinner, but Jesus, even in those moments, saw me as a complete saint. Didn't feel fit for ministry, but Jesus saw me fit for ministry, that He could still use me. And even in moments where I changed my view of me, I'm thankful that Jesus never changed His view of me. Oh, He sees us so differently. Maybe you're here today or joining us online, and you see your past. Let me tell you, yes, Jesus also sees your past, but he sees your future that you can't see. You see the gravity of your sin. Yes, Jesus sees your sin, but he also looks at the cross, and he sees the cross on which your sins were paid for. We may see the confusion, the massive disorientation happening in our soul, but Jesus already sees you whole. He sees you new. He's, he sees you empowered by his spirit to live a whole new life through him. He sees you differently than maybe you see yourself even right now. So we would all agree that Jesus saw people in the scriptures differently, that he saw us differently. But the question still before us is, how does being sent impact what we see? What we see. How we see people. We recognize that Jesus sees people differently. And we're grateful that he saw us differently. But sometimes seeing other people through the eyes of Jesus often becomes a task too great. Maybe even it's easier for us to see how Christ sees us through his eyes. But it's so difficult to see other people through the eyes of the same Jesus. Perhaps our culture or our bringing has conditioned us to view people in such a narrow way. So we view people through their political affiliation and we seize or we never see people as Jesus sees them. We see people with who they hang out with or where they live and we never see people through the eyes of Jesus. We may see people according to their titles, so they've earned the incomes they produce, the reputation that they've built and we may never see people through the eyes of Jesus. We may see people through the lens of sexual orientation or gender identity. We may never see people through the eyes of how Jesus sees them. The reality is that living a sent life is to see people through the eyes of the one who has sent you. Living a sent life is to, first of all, see people, letting the spirit change your view, your perspective, and seeing people through the lens of the one who has seen and sent you. The disciples, as they walked with Jesus three and a half years they begin to see people differently. They're walking closely with Jesus, letting the dust of his sandals fall on them, and they begin to see people differently. They weren't perfect at this, but especially post the Holy Spirit coming down, they begin to have a different perspective on people. The disciples of Jesus were with Jesus in John 5, where Jesus at the pool of Bethesda healed a lame, crippled man who'd been laying there for 38 years, and this man gets healed. Everybody else just saw him as another lame, paralyzed person who's been there for 38 years, but Jesus comes and says, Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be seen? And he heals that man, and he walks into the temple rejoicing. Well, in Acts 3, just after Acts 2, and the Holy Spirit comes down... The Spirit of God changed their perspective on people. And the disciples in Acts 3 find themselves in the presence of another lame man. And notice how they saw him differently than ever before. Acts 3 opens up like this, verse 1 and reads Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Peter and John are going into the temple. For prayer. It's fascinating that, especially in the early sections of Acts, Luke records, Luke who's writing Acts, records Peter and John always hanging out together, always going to places together. It's because, I think, that when Jesus sent the 70 out two by two, this was a set of pairs. That Peter and John were a set of sent people, a pair of sent people, so they're going together, and they are now going to the temple in the time of prayer. There were three times of prayer in the morning, noon, and afternoon. And here in the afternoon session, Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. And usually, according to Acts 2, they would go to the temples to pray and to bear witness of who Jesus was. To talk about Jesus. In the morning and afternoon, times of prayer coincided with the times of sacrifice. So a lot of people will be coming in the afternoon hour to offer their sacrifice. And here, Peter and John, seeing themselves as sent, are headed to the temple In the time of prayer. Heading into the time of prayer, going to the temple in verse 2, Luke records and says this, A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful, so that he could beg from those entering the temple. A man, every day, is getting carried. A man who is lame from birth. The literal word there is, he's been lame since his mother's womb. And every day he gets carried and placed at a gate called beautiful. A lot of people who would have seen him would have thought he's cursed because he's been lame from birth. He can't walk. Surely the sins of his parents or grandparents have now caused this man to be lame. But each day he gets carried out and placed in front of the gate called Beautiful. The gate called Beautiful was one of many gates that you would take to enter the temple courts. But this was perhaps the most magnificent, historians say, the most magnificent gate in the temple. It stood 75 feet tall high. It would take over 20 men to move this gate. It was made of Corinthian bronze, unlike other gates. And it was beautifully plated with silver and gold. Beautiful, stunning gate into the temple courts. Notice the irony here, that in front of this beautiful gate, every day, a person considered cursed is placed in front of a gate called beautiful. Man that's lame, considered cursed in that time, placed in front of a gate called beautiful. And someone's been carrying him to this place every day, every single day. And Peter and John are going to the temple Every day. Every single day. Meaning this is not their first time to see him. They have seen him. They know exactly where he's going to be placed. They know exactly what he's going to do. They have seen this man every single time. At least daily when they go to the temple, this man is there. At the same time being carried in, in front of the gate, called beautiful. But this time was different. This time they didn't just see him, they really saw him. Same place, same people, same temple, same gate, but the whole experience was different. Verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money, and Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. Look at us. Verse 5 reads, So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. Peter and John are going to the temple as usual. This man gets carried out to the gate called Beautiful as usual. But this time Luke uses a very unique word, to describe how Peter and John looked at them. It's not the common word blepo used in the New Testament for seeing. It's the word atentios. Atentios. Meaning to look straight at somebody. To stare at them to a point where they're uncomfortable. Not to gaze. Not to, not to glance, but to actually gaze at them. To put your eyes on somebody. To fix your view. To fix your eyes on someone. Atentios. It's from where we get the word attention, attention. So Peter and John, every day they go, they see him, they glance at him every day, but this time they actually paid attention to him. This man that's been in their route every single day, they would usually go to the temple to pray, but this man, they finally see a real person with a real need who has been sitting outside of the gate while they often rush into the gate. They see him, they look straight at him, they pay attention to him, for the first time, perhaps ever, they see him for who he actually is. they say to him, "Look at us," And this man confidently looks at them, thinking, "Hey, this is going to be a good day i 'm going to get some good spare change today, a good day of alms, because as people enter the, the temple, usually people would be, would be disposed to, to throwing in a few coins into the tin because they're about to go off for sacrifices, and they knew that God cared somehow about. Caring for the poor, so they would throw a few coins in. So he's thinking, surely I'm going to get a good payday today. And he looks at them. Because maybe for the first time, he saw two people that actually cared. He felt noticed, called out, seen by Peter and John. So as these two people, as Peter and John invite this man to look at him, he wants money... But Peter and John offer him mercy. They see him through the eyes of Jesus as they look straight at him. I believe in that moment they were moved with the same compassion that Jesus was moved with when he saw the multitudes hungry and without a shepherd. He's hoping for money, but they're about to give him the mercy of God. This man is begging for money, but he's about to be invited into a miracle. A miracle that money cannot buy. This man is hoping for some spare change, but Peter and John are about to invite him into a life change. To the power of Jesus. Let me tell you, don't go looking for spare change when Jesus is inviting you to life change. Through his miracle working power. So he looks at them begging for money, and Peter says, silver and gold have I none. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. Imagine the scene, this cursed man, this lame man, standing in front of a gate called Beautiful, beautifully plated in silver and gold. And through this man-made gate of silver, gold, and Corinthian bronze, you would enter a man-made temple, beautiful also, with many stones of various materials. But this beautiful gate, nor this beautiful temple, has been of no use to this lame man. Because he's never been able to get inside. He's always been stuck at the gate outside the door. He's never been able to get inside, even a gate called beautiful. So when Peter and John say, silver and gold, I have none... But I offer you, Jesus, what they're doing is inviting him to a far more beautiful gate. A gate called Jesus. Not a temple built by human beings, by the hands of men, but a temple built by God himself. A permanent, a spiritual place where he can enter. So they said to him, silver and gold have we none. But who we have is Jesus. And we give you Jesus in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. A far more beautiful gate named Jesus through whom all can enter the presence of God. Peter and John are poor in gold, but they are rich in God's grace. Peter and John are poor in silver, but they are rich in the Savior's power. Peter could say with the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians when Paul says in 6, chapter 6, verse 10, as grieving yet always rejoicing, as poor yet enriching many, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Silver and gold, I have none, but I've got Jesus to share with you. We're poor in the terms of money and influence or power but we're so rich in grace because Jesus is living on the inside of us. And what I want you to know, sent once, the people of God who are being mobilized across our city in your workplaces, you may not have what everybody else has, but you have what money can buy. You already possess everything you need. It's the spirit of God living inside of you by whom we cry, Abba, Father, through the finished work of Jesus. And just as in that moment in Acts 3, that power of his spirit still changes lives. It still performs miracles. It still transforms the lives of people. It is still sending people who are still laying at the outskirts of the beautiful gate. Saying, I don't have what you may want, but I got what you really need. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk amazing is that Peter and John speak to him, and they speak a word of a miracle, but he actually doesn't get up and walk. The story isn't over there, so Peter actually does something incredibly special. Look at verse 7. Then, this is after the spoken word of a miracle, then, taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And at once, his feet and ankles became strong. Peter had spoken in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, but he didn't stop there. He physically positioned himself to reach down to this man who was lame and to touch him, to raise him up by his hand. And that's when he began to walk. This miracle isn't voice activated, it's presence activated. Activated by a sent one who's saying, I'm not just going to speak from here from a distance, hoping you're healed. No, 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 I'm going to come to you. I'm going to move in proximity to you with compassion and kindness and grace. And I want to meet you where you are. I'm willing to come down as low as I need to. I'm not going to speak from on high. I'm coming to where you are. I'm not just going to speak up. I'm going to raise you up. Peter spoke a word of miracle, and then he reached down and raised this man up. That's what sent ones do. We don't expect the hurting to meet us where we are. No, no, no. We go to the hurting. We go to the lost. We go to the broken. We are sent by Jesus because we go to where people are. We meet them where they are, invite them. We raise them up. A presence moves in proximity because people don't just notice that we care about what we say, they notice that we care about what we do. How low we're willing to go for them. How far we're willing to sacrifice for them. that we don't mind getting messy into their stories, but we reach down and we raise them up. And Peter says, Luke says, and at once, His feet and ankles became strong. Taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. I don't want you to miss this. Peter reaches down and grabs the hand of this person. And as Peter touched his hands, Jesus was touching his feet. As Peter stretched out and touched the hands of this lame crippled man from birth considered cursed from the beginning. As Peter moved with compassion and grace and in close proximity to him, as Peter did everything, who could he spoke? Now he demonstrates, he stoops down and he picks him up. As Peter touches his hand, God began to heal his feet. What a picture of the church being sent. We don't stand at a distance. No, no, no. We go to people. We do all that we can with the heart of Jesus, with his heart of love and compassion that doesn't refrain from people, but moves towards people. And as we grab a hold of a hand of someone at work or in our neighborhood, and we do all that we can, we plant the seed, we prepare the heart, God begins to heal their feet. As we do everything in the natural we can, God begins to do everything in the supernatural that we cannot do. Come on, that deserves a praise right there. (laughs) Peter touched his feet, I mean his hands, all the while Jesus began to touch his feet. His ankles became strong, so he jumped up and started a walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. This man does what he's not taught to do. He has been lame from birth. He's never been able to walk. But one moment, with the Spirit of God at work in the name of Jesus, that one moment changed a lifetime of sorrow and grief and feeling cursed. He moves with such elasticity that he's never been taught before. He's never walked before. But now he's leaping. He gets up, begins to start, begins to walk, begins to run, begins to leap. One moment with Jesus, one moment with the Spirit of God changes a lifetime of grief. So don't you ever discount somebody of what the Spirit can do in their life. Don't see him that's crippled. Don't see him as lame. See them now as someone leaping for joy because you move closer as a sent one. You touch their hand and Jesus touched their feet. He leaps with joy. Verse 9 says... All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit, who used to beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonished at what had happened to him. I wonder if those who were astonished at this miracle, they thought about the words of Isaiah 55 that talks about the reign of the Messiah. In Isaiah 55, verse 6, Isaiah records that when the Messiah comes, then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy, for wattle will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. This is the plan of God for humanity. This is the plan of God for the world. If we could see people the way God sees when Jesus enters the story of a person... And the lame will leap for joy in this kingdom, the mute will sing for joy. Peter and John sees a man they've always seen but now see them sees him completely different. They see his physical need and they join God in bringing healing to this man. But though the physical need was great, that wasn't his ultimate need. Though this man cannot walk for a lifetime, that wasn't the great loss of his lifetime. Because in the old covenant, it was set in stone, this law in Leviticus 21, verse 16 to 17. The Lord spoke to Moses, tell Aaron, none of your descendants throughout your generations who has a physical defect is to come near me to present the food of his God. Verse 18, no man who has any defect is to come near. No man who is blind, lame, facially facially disfigured or deformed. No man who has a broken foot or hand. The greatest need of this person in Acts 3 wasn't merely his physical reality, but his physical condition that hindered him, blocked him from experiencing the presence of God. According to the old covenant, if you're lame, you can't be a priest. You can't even offer food for God. You can't honor him in that way. So this person for his whole life, because he was lame, he was bored. He was blocked from entering the temple. That's why he wasn't just laying there out of convenience. He could not physically enter the temple of God. He couldn't go to pray. He couldn't go to worship. He couldn't offer God his sacrifice because of his physical condition that he had no participation in he was born this way but this predicament that he was in physically kept him from god's presence but now that jesus has healed him all bets are off now that the spirit of god has restored his legs and he can walk he can leap he can run what does he do acts 3 8 says so he jumped up and started to walk and where did he go he entered the temple First time in his life, every day he's been laying outside the beautiful gate. Now with his legs that are functioning, he can run into the temple. He didn't run home. He didn't run to Starbucks. No, no, no. He went to the temple. Walking and leaping and praising God. He could finally, for the first time, enter the courts of God's temple. Even offer his sacrifices. Because this physical healing ushered in a whole new spiritual reality for him. And that's the ultimate miracle, him coming into the presence of God, knowing his welcome. And this theme repeats itself over and over in Acts, where those by the old covenant were deemed unworthy to enter God's presence are now welcomed freely into the new covenant, into the presence of God through the person Jesus Whether you're lame or not, whether you can see or not, we're all equally by the cross invited into the presence of Jesus. I wonder what would have happened if Peter and John went on with business as usual, went on to offer their spiritual prayers into the temple, went on with good things, religious duties, missional living. If they had missed this man outside of the beautiful gate, they would have went into the temple, had a beautiful time of prayer. Maybe a few people would have got it saved. But this man would have been remaining lame outside the beautiful gate. But they saw him differently this time. They saw him from a whole new perspective because the spirit that fell in Acts 2, the spirit of God changed their perspective of people. So let me ask you again. How does being sent impact what you see, or who do you see? Are there people in your daily route that you are seeing but not really seeing? People who are still outside the beautiful gate. We can come in, worship God, have communion, it's beautiful. But people you rub shoulders with every day at your workplace, in your neighborhood, wherever they may be, who are still outside the beautiful gate. Outside of the gate of Jesus, who are wondering, does anybody notice me? Does anybody care? I wish someone would tell me. There was something more to life. There was hope worth hanging on to. Who is someone that maybe you have been passing by every day, every week, every month, that this week you will see different because you are sent. And not just sent to speak to them, but sent to move closer to them. Sent to extend your hands and say, can I raise you up? How can I help you? How can I serve you? What can I do with my time, my resources, my talent to raise you up? And when you reach the hand of that person, whatever that looks like, God begins to bring the harvest. He begins to heal. He begins to work. So this is what I'm asking you to do this week. In fact, if you can do it right now, you've already... Spotted your phone earlier for what we did with the worship night. But this week or today, before you leave campus, here's what I want you to do. You can grab your phone right now. I want you this week to put on your calendar every day for the next six days. At the same time, this reminder, who do you see? So pick a time, preferably a time where you're around people. Maybe a lunchtime, when you're at the gym, when you're on a walk. Pick a time for the next six days and put it into your calendar. Actually insert it into your calendar, a reminder, this statement, who do you see? I'm gonna put mine at six o'clock because all day long I'm with church staff members. And that's amazing, but I think most of them know Jesus. All of them do. So I'm gonna pick a time where I'm at a soccer practice with Avery, or in my neighborhood, or meeting somebody for coffee after work, To remind me, who do you see? Who do you see? Put it in your calendar this week. And when that reminder pops up at that time every day, pause for a moment. Ask the Spirit, who are you showing me that I've never seen before? Who are you giving me a new insight into that i walked by every day, I've seen all week long, but this time I want to see them differently. And pray for yourself in that moment to be sent to them the right words and it may be a spiritual conversation you begin with them or it may be as simple as hey I know we've been around each other but I've never introduced myself that may be it but that could be the beginning of a harvest I know Rick Warren he talked about what he called apology evangelism where he said hey if you've been living around neighbors that you've never met just go to them and say hey I've been living around you for 20 years I've never come to tell you the most important thing in my life And just leave it there and see if they're curious to hear what the most important thing in your life is. Who do you see? Who do you see? I believe as all week long people are reminded with this reality of who do you see that you've been passing by. How can you engage? How can you move toward them? How can you bring them? Maybe not what they want, quote unquote, but what they really need. The gospel message, God will begin to heal people. He'll begin to heal their soul. He'll begin to bring them into a relationship with him so that they can now join you not outside the beautiful gate but inside the gate of his presence, leaping for joy. Cuz the reality is you and I, we were the beggars in bondage at one point. We were outside the beautiful gate, but God sent someone. We were paralyzed from birth, unable to walk with God. Unable to rejoice in his presence by God, sent a family member, a co-worker, someone with the message of Jesus to say, here's Christ crucified I'm offering you. Get up and walk. So now we go outside the gate. Who can we look for, God? Who can we bring into the gate with us? And here's the amazing thing. Jesus would also often go into the temple. And Jesus was going to the temple at the same time that this lame man was being carried. Can you imagine how many times Jesus walked by this man and Jesus could have healed him? This man's story could have been in the Gospels, but Jesus saved it for the book of Acts because he wanted his followers to be sent to them. He wanted his disciples to bear the message of Jesus and bring it to them. Not because he couldn't, but he wanted us to participate. So I just wonder, who has Jesus reserved for you to reach? Who has Jesus reserved, saved for you to go, for you to reach them? Who do you see? Let's pray. Father, help us to see differently. Because we're sent, we see differently. Not through our eyes, not through our culture's eyes, not through preconceived notions. No, no, no. We see through the eyes of the one who sent us. Who is it that you've reserved for us to reach? Send us out, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us in worship. And today, if you're here and you're recognizing for the first time Jesus sees you differently, join us in the prayer room. We would love to help you take your next steps. We've got sent groups happening as well. And I want you to know next Sunday We've got baptisms, and if you're here today and you want to go public with your faith in Jesus, or if you've never been baptized, we're going to have baptisms in the service. What a beautiful way to celebrate those who have been healed and made whole on the inside by the power of Jesus. We would invite you, if you haven't yet been baptized, come join us for baptism. I love you. Have a great next
4: few hours. Well, what a great service! And I love the time around the Lord's table to remember and celebrate what Jesus has done for you and for me to make us clean and close with Him, pure and holy with Him. I hope that you were encouraged as well as we sang together, and as we opened God's Word, that you would begin to see what God is doing all around you and in you. That the core of who you are belongs to Him and has been redeemed, and now He's living out through you to the people around you to love them and. Would love for you to join in with us as we set a timer every day at the same time that just has the reminder, who do you see, that this would be a way for us to be reminded to be intentional every day, that there are people around us that God is bringing to us, that he's inviting us to be available for him to share his love and life through us to them. And I hope that you have an incredible experience in this week of seeing the people around you the way Jesus does. And maybe it begins with today, you seeing yourself as Jesus sees you, as dearly loved by him, as someone that he cherishes and values, that you were worth him coming for, to die on the cross, to defeat the death, the, defeat the grave, and to be alive in all of us. I'm praying for you. So thankful that we're in this together. Would love to hear Scent Stories. Go to bentree.org slash scent for a bunch of resources. There's parent guide in there for have conversations with your kids. There's also a way for you to share with us your Scent Stories. Thank you for sending those in. It's so encouraging. And I'm praying for you. Can't wait to see you next week.
1: Let the King of my heart be the mountain where my song let the king key... eclipsed by glory and I realized just how beautiful chase
0: me down. You seek me out. How could I be lost when You have called me found? You chase me down. You seek me out. How could I be lost when You have called me found? You chase me down. You seek me.
1: Take me down You seek me
0: faithful. You've been faithful through every store. You'll be faithful forevermore.
1: You have done great things. And I know,
0: and I know you will do it again. For your promise is yes and amen. Claim that again together this morning, hallelujah.